This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by HSI. This episode was recorded September 23rd, 2022. My name is Jill James, HSI's Chief Safety Officer. And today my guest is Dolores Salmon. Dolores is a certified safety professional, the head of Global EHS at a tech, media, and entertainment company. She is a past president of the ASSP Los Angeles chapter and currently serves on the board for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. She has dedicated her efforts to leadership, mentorship of emerging safety professionals, and the elevation of the environmental, health, and safety industry. Dolores is joining us today from her home in Orange County, California. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jill. Thank you for having me. Well, it is great to have you here. And earlier this week, you and I actually had the opportunity to meet in person at the National Safety Um, Congress and Expo, which is pretty unique that I get to actually meet a podcast guest in real life. So thank you for that. Yes, what a pleasant surprise. It really was. So Dolores, your your work history and how this um, wild world got started. And gosh, I want to make sure that I come back to Make-A-Wish because I'm interested to hear about that too. But um, your EHS journey, how did how did things start for you? Oh my goodness. I love the topic of the accidental safety pro because I it resonates with me. Everyone always asks the same question. So how did, how did you end up doing this? How did you end up in safety? Um, I could tell you that my mom tells people that I am an environmentalist, still has no idea what I do. And uh, my dad said I used to be um, a director at Fox or at uh, my current company. And, you know, I have family members that think I'm in movies and television and and all the glitz and glamour, which is far from the truth. Because Um, you work for a tech and media (laughs) entertainment company, so everyone makes an assumption. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I think my path is, is... funny. Um, I don't come from a, uh, a risk averse family. I think I have a very, um, probably normal upbringing for, um, I'm Filipino American, first generation. Uh, my, my mother came, um, from the Philippines in 69 and my dad in 71. And I think we had a very traditional, uh, first generation, American upbringing, hardworking parents, um, really trying to find their way in America and really just trying to really just survive here in the United States. Um, I think my first bout with safety per se, uh, came in college. I was a college student. I did not know what I wanted to do. I was the first year undeclared. And uh, my whole life, I've, I've danced Polynesian dancing. So hmm. uh, the islands of Hawaii, Tahiti, Samoa, <laughs> New wow. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. This is this is this is not normal safety nerddom so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that makes me a, a little proud. Um, That's good. <laughs> yeah. So Jill, I I, I was I, again. I've been a dancer since I was um, ten, twelve. And uh, when I moved to Southern California from Northern California, I joined a dance uh, troupe here. And we were um, doing a backyard retirement party. Hmm. 
and uh, we were ready to go on stage. The fire knife dancer completed his number, put out the fire in the sand, and as he walked by the dancers, I took two or three steps back and uh, we're ready to go on. And then we're looking out at the, the audience and there's just so much, there's ooing and aahing and just, you know, people are gasping. And I'm like, wow, this group, this retirement party, they are ready for us. They are ready for us to be on stage. And it turns out, Jill, that uh, my skirt, caught on fire oh my gosh yes so um as you know the materials are not they're not fire retardant they're not Uh treated they're very dry natural grass materials and uh my skirt caught it it just burst into flames um and thankfully uh the um one of the drummers in our group, uh, he was the fire chief for the city of Huntington Beach. And he immediately came and uh, ripped my skirt off. And I was, yes, still partially on stage. So that's oh another gosh. story for us to have the, the mortification uh-huh. there. But um, he proceeded to essentially stomp, stomp on the skirt. And obviously the fire went out and I exited stage right and um, it was a huge near miss. But oh my gosh, were you burned, Dolores? <laughs> no, I was not burned. But after reading about these incidents, they are actually very common. Again, the the materials are are very dry. They are not treated, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, there have been cases of dancers who have, you know, burns on three quarters of their bodies, and it could have been really, really bad for me. Oh my gosh. And so, um, I mean, this is just, this just goes to show that every occupation, you know, people often ask, well, that doesn't sound like a very dangerous occupation. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> every occupation has its risks. And now anyone who thinks they're going to a, a, a cool, um, luau, that's just going to be light and fun, you know? Oh my gosh. Exactly. Yeah. Sa- safety people's eyes get wrecked for everything. Yes, no job job hazard analysis or risk assessment for for that activity. Um, wow, but I, it it opened my eyes into um, obviously fire life safety and risk and um, yeah, it was it was it was scary, very very wow. scary. A great story um, at the end, but it was it was scary. And so wow. after that, um, I I was really interested in safety I was more uh cautious and 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 looked out for additional risks but I also loved um the environment and uh environmental science so I found this major at UC Irvine that was just a wonderful um cross school major called applied ecology and I Hmm. that the year after I switched into um, applied ecology. Well, interesting. And so what, what, yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. <laughs> How do you go from ecology to EHS? I mean, uh, I can, yeah. I can see that. I can see the, I can see the uh, trajectory there with the environment, especially. Yeah. So, um, again, uh, undergraduate degree was, um, the major was joint between the school, of biological sciences and the school of social mm-hmm. ecology. So I took mm-hmm. a ton of 
GCHEM, OCHEM, physics, all bio core. And then when it came to upper division, I took environmental psychology, limnology, mm. water quality, wow. um, indoor air quality. And mm. uh, I guess I don't know if I should go into my dentist phase of my life, but um. <laughs> well, I think I think so. Now that you've mentioned it, I mean, we've 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 been dancing. We've been <laughs> hard into the sciences. Uh, holy, yeah. holy cats. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was I was uh, focused really on the environmental side. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot of environmental research. I, I actually worked in a lab. Um, we were studying the effects of smoke and nicotine in um, rats' mm-hmm. brains. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I had a, a close friend, and he was um, in dental school and, um, and uh, orthodontic school. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what are, what are you going to do with this environmental degree? Like, mm-hmm. what, what are you going to do with this? And um, I had other friends who were also applying to dental school, and I decided to pivot. I said, mm-hmm. hey, let's, let's take a look at this deni- at dentistry. So um, I, saw, I started volunteering at a local um, dental uh, bus, the USC dental bus that was offering um, cleaning and, and uh, dental instruction to the underprivileged communities in LA mm-hmm. and surrounding areas. I really went full force into it. I studied mm-hmm. for the DAT. <laughs> to make a long story short, I um, did make it into dental school. Congratulations. And, thank mm-hmm. you. And the summer that I was ready to, um, to go and move, uh, my dad called me and he said, oh, I don't know about this dental, this dental thing, this dentist thing. I saw you on stage. Um, I was a commencement speaker for the School of Social Ecology at UC Irvine. He said, I saw, wow. I saw you on stage and it was a great speech. And I just don't think you should be in people's mouths all day. And you could be the Filipino Barbara Walters. You could be the Filipino Barbara Walters. Still to this day, I, I don't know what that means. I wish I could ask my dad. He passed a couple years ago. But I, um, I actually took that to heart and I mm-hmm. didn't pursue dental school. He saw something in he saw something in you. He didn't quite know exactly how to articulate it other than, <laughs> other than uh, Barbara Walters. That's fantastic. Oh, Barbara, Walters. Barbara Walters. Yeah. Uh, oh, Jill. So after that, I, I did um, I did sales and marketing in real estate for a couple of years mm. because real estate mm-hmm. was obviously in in its boom in 2005, 2006. Lucrative. Very mm-hmm. lucrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2007, I said, okay, that's not going to pay the bills any longer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started working for EORM as um, a technician doing uh, primarily environmental work. So a lot of mm-hmm. uh Stormwater permitting, SWIPs, um, HAZCOM, really, I mean, just entry-level EHS yeah. um, technical work. So it was uh, a really interesting <laughs> transition into the field. 
from uh, from from real estate to that, I can imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So I, I started my my career as a consultant, and mm-hmm. um, again started on the environmental side. I spent several years as an industrial hygiene pump jockey. I did mm-hmm. lots of air monitoring. Um, uh, both um, area and personal monitoring for uh, oil and gas companies, um, manufacturing, pharma, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just semiconductor. Mm -hmm. So the very traditional EHS. um, Yeah. I mean, when you were first describing, you know, your, your educational background, I thought, oh, she's definitely headed down an IH route. And it sounds like it sounds like you found it eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So started very very heavy environmental and IH, mm-hmm. and then uh, it just kind of evolved into into safety. So I I say mm-hmm. I'm I'm a generalist. I think I'm pretty dangerous in environmental health, safety, and sustainability. I've mm-hmm. I've consulted on all. Um, on all facets and and and, and different um, different capacities for several multinational companies and organizations mm-hmm. globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, being able to say you're a generalist, I, I say the same thing about myself. And I used to feel kind of bad about that. I used to think, gosh, maybe I should specialize in something because there are so many areas you could dive so deeply into in our profession. And then I've just decided, you know what? I like learning a lot about a lot of different things. Yes, yes. You know, yes. it keeps the work exciting. Is What do you think? I agree. I think I approached it um, with wanting to learn everything, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that I possibly could. So anytime my manager had time um, to look at, you know, a matrix of, of expertise and, and different areas of focus, I just was always raising my hand. Yeah, I, w- mm-hmm. I want to do that. I want to learn mm-hmm. about that. I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. And um, I guess I don't mind being called a generalist either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a good I fit. Do. I think it's a good fit for, for those of us who really like the challenge of learning new things all the time. Yes, yes. Yeah. So Dolores, it sounds like you, you know, you did a lot of work um, as a consultant, you said for a long time. Uh, When did that first sort of EHS job come your way? I know you mentioned um, Fox a little while ago. Was that sort of the first or were there others before that? Uh, Yeah, so that was, yes. So I was a consultant for close to 10 years and um, I... Fox Sports was actually one of my named accounts. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, the firm that I was at, conducted um, uh, EHS and sustainability audits for um, all of the sporting stadiums across the U.S. Yeah, that was a terrible, terrible project. <laughs> not, not fun at all. Not fun at all. <laughs> in in terms of like a lot of travel or what? no it, it it was an incredible incredible project to manage <laughs> yeah I mean talk about winning that project uh-huh. and getting on um 
a team call and saying, okay, who wants to go to Texas to audit? Um, oh my gosh, I don't even know the team names, but who wants to <laughs> who wants to audit the MLB stadiums and the NF? Mm-hmm. Who wants to go to an NFL game and who wants to go to a basketball NBA game and essentially, you know, get into the guts of of the stadium and and mm-hmm. and be on the floor and yeah mm-hmm. yeah nobody. Everybody signed up for that project. Everybody wanted it. So so when, oh my gosh, I'm just thinking what it must be like for you to attend a sporting event or any event in a stadium right now. I mean, I, I did, I've not seen the inner workings or the guts behind it. I just know as a health and safety professional, I'm doing minimal life safety things with whoever I'm with. Like, okay, identify the exits. Here's our gathering point. Here's our secondary gathering point if something goes wrong. But you have to take this to a whole nother level. Yes. And, and this, uh, the, the approach and the, risk, and the risks were not for the general audience because right. obviously safety and, and stadium design, they, they take that um, into yeah. consideration very early. Mm-hmm. Um, this risk identification and mitigation, they were basically for the broadcasters and um, the folks in camera positions, mm-hmm. uh, whether they are on the sideline or working from heights, um, access to ladders. So. They were protecting mm-hmm. um, the the cast and crew who were working on behalf of Fox Sports and the other broadcasting networks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty unique position for an EHS professional. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was it was wonderful. I really enjoyed working with the Fox team. Um, the project ended, but shortly after that, uh, my former boss, John Moore, the VP at Fox, called me and said, hey, I have this this position that's opening up. It's more on the, um, on the television side mm-hmm. and has to do with uh, television production safety. And mm-hmm. at that point in my career, I had done some work for several of the studios um, in L.A. and Burbank, and so... I knew enough about the studio world to be dangerous. Um, I had not worked on a physical production, but I had worked um, lots of events and, um, you know, event event EHS and event oversight, and, and mm-hmm. obviously the sports piece ties into that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually politely declined because I mm-hmm. live in Orange County, the commute from Orange County to LA is dreadful and soul killing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also said, I don't know if I'm your person. I, I don't watch very much TV. I'm not a film buff. I like I. I might not be very exciting. I'm, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a TV and film person. And John mm-hmm. Moore just laughed and he said, "You're hired." <laughs> Oh, they wanted someone who wasn't going to be starstruck, who could actually get to the work. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, he gave me a couple of days to think about it, and uh, I accepted. And I was there for close to five years overseeing um, television production, um, National Geographic, uh, licensed and, and shows, and also um, 
special events and, and creative services room. So hmm. that was a really fun time. So Dolores, when, when it comes to hazards and hazard mitigation in that industry, how is it different or is it really not? I mean, you had had, like you said, 10 years of consulting experience behind you, meaning you've been in lots of different types of work environments. You'd seen a lot of things by then. Was there a similar thread or were there things that you were dealing with like, gosh, no one would ever deal with these kind of hazards anywhere else? Yeah, I think it's the, it's a very, if you're a risk professional and mm-hmm. you um, and you understand hazard identification and, and how to mitigate risk, right? And it, it's essentially what we do day to day as EHS professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the challenging thing in, 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 um, media and entertainment is that, um, they, when you're when you're not familiar with the vernacular and you're not necessarily mm. speaking the same language, um, mm-hmm. it could be challenging to gain the trust of cast and crew and um, and the folks and 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 gain their partnership, right? So mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think the difficulty is in the job and. Uh, how mm-hmm. how we mitigate and identify risks the the difficulty and the challenges are in the relationships because mm-hmm. it is extremely nepotistic and mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. um, they there's there's not a lot of confidence if you haven't been on a production worked on a production your mm-hmm. whole life right so mm-hmm. you don't have any street cred exactly in. exactly mm-hmm. so the street cred piece and really gaining gaining trust um so it was a it was don't get me wrong i i loved my job there but it was extremely challenging to to kind of break into the industry and 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 gain um yeah. trust and confidence yeah and how did you how did you do that I mean, I'm sure it's many, you know, a million different pieces, but what are some of the things that you remember that worked for you? Ah, yeah. So it was uh, phone a friend. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, my first, my first 30 days uh, there, I really tried to understand the the business, right? So Mm -hmm. who are your, the key players? Who are the key partners? What who, what groups do you need to work with? There are so Mm -hmm. many different positions, um, on a production and you kind of have to navigate who, who, which groups and which departments actually have the highest risk on, um, on a production, but also what are their pain points, right? So Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time just really understanding the workflows, operations, key pain points, um, top five, top five hazards, um, Mm -hmm. spending time with workers comp to look at, you know, where the incidents and injuries were occurring. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also I, I, I did some benchmarking with external peers, right? Mm. So I met with other studios to learn more about their programs, what was working, what wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, it was a little, a lot of data gathering at that point too, mm-hmm. before I could really frame up what a best in class program should look like mm-hmm. at VHS mm-hmm. for, um, uh, for television production. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was a lot of uh, learning and really understanding the business before diving in. That's really great advice for anyone in any in any field in any career. You know, I'm from from what you were doing there to you know I think about Dolores. I haven't told you this about myself, but I worked for a period of time in the poultry industry, um, specifically turkeys. And uh, getting street cred there is no different <laughs> than what you're talking about. It's just I did things that you wouldn't necessarily think you'd be doing with you know inseminating turkeys but you need to figure out (laughs) you know what the you know what it is and the employees that are doing the work and what their what their um pressures and forces on their bodies are and what those hazards and risks are and you only do it by digging in um so yeah that's beautiful so at that at that time when you were there uh, you know, were you a solo operator? Were you directing a team, or how does how does that work? Oh, I managed a team. Yeah, yeah. Can't do can't do that I, alone. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, you know, we 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 were very lean, um, mm-hmm. and so it was a team plus you know contractors and freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hmm. was that the first time you had managed people, or did you have experience in that before? Uh, I had managed, not directly, mm-hmm. um, but as a as a consultant when you have um, when you manage large contracts and projects. Obviously, there's there's team members yeah. that you of course have to manage and yeah interact and, with. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you stayed there for how many years? I think it was close to four or five years. And what happened with the soul-crushing commute? (laughs) Uh, I still have a soul-crushing commute. Uh, Well, it's it's quite funny because I I remember driving home one day and, uh, gosh, I think it was, I hit the two-and-a-half-hour mark. And... um, it was because there were all of these fires up and down the freeway here in, in California. Mm. And mm. I told myself, I do not want know why I'm doing this. Uh, I love my job, but I after this, I will never accept another job in L.A. And here I am. You did, <laughs> another, you did it again. And I did it again. <laughs> Maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but uh, yes, I work at another company with headquarters in in LA. Oh, sounds like you need a driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you had, you had, I had mentioned actually in the, in the introduction that you're, um, the past, um, president of ASSP Los Angeles chapter. And I think you also have worked with emerging safety professionals yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? What that piece is like for you? Yes, absolutely. I, there is just, I mean, the, the industry has been incredible. Um, yes, I slang safety every day, and it's not easy to always <laughs> just constantly be selling the importance of health and safety. It's exhausting. 
but mm-hmm. at the same on the same uh token i am so um grateful for the industry and um my my job uh, my husband is a physician and i tell him you know I I get people home safely every day as well, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm saving lives too, mm-hmm. so um, I just indeed <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. and so um, I'm just I I just love EHS and the industry, and I I just have so much gratitude for uh, what it has given to me personally and professionally, and I think we're at a time where we don't have a strong enough pipeline, right? We have That's right. Um, folks who are retiring and um, people, again, I, I'm sure it's the gist of your podcast, people don't really know about this industry or, or the roles or, or even right. what we do. So mm-hmm. educating um, uh, the the new generation and emerging professionals, I think it's so critical for anyone who is in um, who is in EHS to prioritize that. So, yes, anytime that I can, I uh, I love to mentor. I love to show the other side of safety, the fun side of safety, and um, how it has really enriched my life. So. Uh, emerging professionals with the LA ASSP chapter. We did try to host um, uh, an annual event and bring out those who are new uh, in their career or in, um, you know, in 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 programs in in mm-hmm. the region, in college, in the region. Um, yeah, so it's mm-hmm. it's it's something that I feel very passionately about, and I think we all need to do better. Yeah, it's a good in our yeah. professionals. Yeah, it's a good call to action for all of us to go back into our communities, back to our you know back to our colleges, into our networks um, to try to raise exposure and fill that pipeline, particularly um, with women, Dolores. I mean, we're still you know really underrepresented. Yes. Yes, yeah. and that was very apparent at the last conference when I saw you this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's still it's still a thing where there the lines to the women's restroom is short. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just yeah, and the speaker panels as well. I mean, I I attended a number of sessions where there were female speakers, but there were there was a lot of headlines where it was very male dominated, and that was very obvious. Yeah. 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 So we have work to do for sure. Yes, we have work we to do. do. Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, I, before I forget, I want to hear about Make-A-Wish and um, how that became a passion for you. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have um, friends and family who have benefited from um, a wish during their during their time of illness. Um, I have a very very close friend of mine who um, her daughter was diagnosed with a Wilms tumor when she was three years old, um, mm. and she was granted a wish, and that helped her during her treatment and during mm. her time. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've also had friends who were wish granters and shared the stories, and so. 
um, I've, I've always known about the organization. Um, I've always felt strongly about their mission and, and super passionate about um, you know, granting wishes and, and helping mm-hmm. the kids with, with illness. Um, but I think during the pandemic, uh, it really hit home for me mm-hmm. in that, um, one, we take our health for granted, right? So uh, the, yeah, the, the, the global pandemic shut everything down. And I was just thankful and grateful for every breath and thankful for my family and thankful for my friends and my parents. And um, it was a bit of an existential crisis for me to think about, you know, Mm -hmm. just what was really important at that time at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. What what was Mm -hmm. really critical. And two, I thought, well, I need to do more. I need, mm-hmm. I, I need to do more. So, um, I just, I, I got involved with, with make a wish and mm-hmm. to help with fundraising and, um, community engagement and member engagement. Um, and I recently joined their board, uh, oh. a couple of months ago. So I, I volunteered for, um, a couple of years and then, uh, mm-hmm. recently was nominated to their board. Hmm. Volunteer life is just, um, it's so fulfilling and also, I I don't know, just in, it helps us human. It helps us in our jobs. I just can't think of, you know, a way, uh, aspects that it doesn't touch in life. You know, I just, I've, I've, I've too have found uh, volunteerism very rewarding. Yes, absolutely. And I think it, it, um, it doesn't help that uh, growing up, again, being first generation, yeah. my mom always saying, do you know how much you have here in America? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know in the Philippines they can't mm-hmm. even afford, you know, mm-hmm. a, a cup of rice? And um, mm-hmm. so I, I, I have to thank my parents for really instilling uh, philanthropy and um really gratitude. giving back and yeah. gratitude. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, you had mentioned, um, you know, the pandemic exodus, <clears throat> I can't say that today, crisis. We all experienced that. Well, many of us experienced that internally, um, and externally. I've been thinking a lot about how, the ways in which it shaped our careers. Um, what are your observations about the pandemic and how it's shaped the EHS profession? Um, you mean how we're all rock stars now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's going to be a whole new Hollywood <laughs> walk of fame. We're all getting stars. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I actually, I have thoughts about that. Um, obviously, it it elevated our roles in the organization and it, um, it just pushed us, pushed us to the forefront. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we all have battle scars and we all have battle stories and war stories for EHS Mm -hmm. professionals who had to develop programs and stand up testing and contact tracing and, and all of the amazing things that we've done in the past two two to three years Mm -hmm. um 
But on the flip side, I struggle with this because uh, there are some folks um, at my company and every other company that thinks, oh, well, now they're just COVID safety officers, right? And so coming out of the pandemic, it's really important. Actually, during the pandemic, even when we were meeting with various departments, yes, we would talk about COVID, but I stressed to my team that, hey, listen, COVID is just one hazard that needs right. to be mitigated. So don't forget to talk about all the other elements of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what what's happening now is there is an education um that that needs to happen a re-education that hey we're just not don't just call us for covid uh here is a long list of 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 things that we can do and you could see covid or pandemic preparedness is just one bullet here's here's the rest and so um, spending some time with the global team this week, we're actually uh, doing a roadshow, what we're calling a roadshow, hmm. and we put together a deck of who we are, what we do, um, hmm. when to call us, and just to, again, educate the business on uh, we don't go away just because COVID goes away or COVID is going away, right? There's, there's so much more that we can do. So I guess hmm. um, a re-education and also just making sure that, that the value in our, in our function is not just for, for COVID. I love that. I, I mean, this is such a great, this is such a great thing to share with our listeners, Dolores and EHS Roadshow. Gosh, we well, I mean, we've been needing to do that that in our industry <laughs> for our profession for many, many years. Yes. And I I feel like um like you, I feel like a light would we had an opportunity for a light to be shown on our profession in a way uniformly that has never ever happened before, where so many of us have done our work kind of in the corners and in the shadows except when something was going sideways and then it's like oh we you know we have this we have this EHS professional or we need to bring them forward because something has gone sideways and then the sideways happened to all of us at exactly the same time for exactly the same hazard and you know we got to sort of elbow and shoulder our ways into tables with our cohorts in other cross-functional places where we've never had that opportunity before and so now here we are and oh my gosh we can't we're not going back I mean that's what I heard at the conference this week you know like the um, access that our profession has had that we've never had before is a direct result of the pandemic yes yes exactly And so the time to, to take an EHS roadshow <laughs> on the road to remind, hey, here's how else we can be helpful. You know, I mean, and just even hearing this week at the conference, you know, f- for the first time in ever at a conference, gosh, almost every session I went to had something to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion and how, how, imp- how critical that is to our work as well. Yes, yes. Where we where we might not have ever talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. 
Yeah. And then, and then layering in this sort of emerging thing that's hitting our profession with, um, environmental social governance, you know, that's another piece we heard a lot about today. And I'm curious to hear how that's sort of making its way into your, into your career right now. Yeah. So, um, obviously 2020 was madness right there. Mm -hmm. I think it, Everything from heat waves to storms, you talked about gender and, and race and pay disparities and food shortages. So mm -hmm. I think businesses and organizations really struggled with elements that were outside of just uh, the typical financial um, uh, financial indicators and financial efforts, right? What we mm -hmm. realized was that social environmental components were impacting companies' revenues, reputation, mm -hmm. and also re retention efforts, right? There's uh, yeah. quiet quitting happening and... <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and who i mean and in our industry too i mean how oh, yeah. i mean gosh you and i've both i'm sure talked with several people who are like i can't it's untenable where i am i'm moving on yeah or you know exactly. all the warts got exposed yes, <laughs> during the pandemic time for me to go yeah and just employee, just burnout and yeah yeah and so obviously i we were i was seeing um, this shift and, and this change in how business businesses were looking at um, ESG topics. Mm -hmm. And I thought, huh, well, you know, well, what do I need to be doing in this space? And so mm -hmm. I kind of started the ESG journey really to, one, be prepared um, to what my what Netflix was going to ask me for, and to make sure that I had the, the data um, mm -hmm. for what was material to Netflix, mm -hmm. and then two to explore like, well, is this a, is this a thing that an EHS professional can do? Can can mm -hmm. we pivot from EHS into into ESG? Mm -hmm. And so um, in twenty twenty one, I started a program. Um, there's a gal named Hella Bank Jorgensen who has a competent uh, ESG for competent boards designation. Um, wow. And so I was the, I believe I was the sixth cohort uh, for, for this group. And we really dove into all of the elements of CSG and what is relevant to the board and mm -hmm. how... Um, how it translates also to, again, shareholder and stakeholder engagement. Mm -hmm. So uh, completed that in, in 2021, and I've hmm. just been staying close and, and, and kind of following um, what's been happening. So I think as EHS professionals, we should be aware of at least two things. Um, there is... Last year, um, so I guess a, a lot of the pain points from companies and organizations is that there is a lot of greenwashing happening, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, 
folks are or companies are voluntarily um, uh, sharing their CSR reports and voluntarily um, uh, developing their CSR re their their uh, their reports, but there's really no unified reporting method. And right. last year, the um, ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, was created and really charged with looking at, hey, we need common reporting standards on sustainability. Mm -hmm. Like, it's an, it's, it, it's, an, it's a free for all like, yeah, right now. It's a free for all mm -hmm. right now. It's mm -hmm. an apples to orange comparison. And mm -hmm. it's just, if, if the, if financial reporting is going to be mandatory or rated, then we need to have some a unified uh, reporting method. So yeah. there's a lot of work around, you know, common standards. Mm -hmm. um, and then two is uh, what used to be voluntary is now mandatory. So um, in particular in the EU, uh, mm -hmm. I think EHS should stay close to um, the CSRD. So the new Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. And mm -hmm. essentially this is setting common European rules and essentially requiring companies to conduct a double materiality assessment and re report on what is material to their, their organizations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to say more than, don't quote me on this, more than 50,000 companies um, are met the threshold hmm. and have to start reporting. And it's, it will be mandatory starting next year. Mm -hmm. And it helps avoid the greenwashing you're talking exactly, about. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So unified reporting. So we'll, we'll mm -hmm. see some standardization across the, the board. And then now the shift with it being, you know, non-mandatory, uh, uh, non-financial disclosures. So mm -hmm. compliance-driven and, 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 you know, policy-driven. Right. I mean, it's, some, it's certainly something for our professional practice to be digging into right now. Yes. I mean, some some people who are listening are going to be, Jill, what did you just say? You just said ESG. What does that even mean? And if, and if you're in that camp, you can go back um, one episode to episode 95, and I did an ESG 101, so hopefully that can help some of you. And um, others of you listening, this might be like now part of your job. Um, or in Dolores's case, you're starting to pay attention to it. And like you said in the beginning, Dolores, you're a lifelong learner. And so you've really positioned yourself to start learning about this, anticipating that at least pieces of this will be part of your job going forward. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I, I don't want the EHS professionals to feel, to feel bad or that they don't know enough about ESG, EHS is, again, there are elements of it where our mm -hmm. uh, scope touches, but like, quite frankly, there are no ESG experts out there. Right. <laughs> there That's are right. sustainability experts, there are mm -hmm. DEI experts, there are EHS experts, there are security experts, and there are audit and governance committees. And it, it it's it, it's it's all elements that that contribute to ESG, mm -hmm. right? It, it's mm -hmm. not the mm -hmm. EHS is not equal to ESG. We are we are part of 
that story, right. but we are, we are it, not the whole story. We yeah. are not the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it, there are some ESG roles that are open, um, and it asks for five to 10 years of experience in ESG. I'm like, hold on, let's take who, a step who, back. Who is that? <laughs> that is a unicorn. And if you find That's that right. person, like kudos to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I think, like you said, just, just learn, take it day by day and know that you don't have to know everything. I think EHS professionals are prime for these rules because one, we understand um, management systems. So if you've mm-hmm. implemented an ISO 14001 or 45001 system, it's, I mean, we understand how to develop programs, how to um, drive initiatives, how to gather lots of data, whether it's incident injury data or environmental um, air, water, waste. We, we're used to um, developing yeah. programs and, and, mm-hmm. and managing data. Mm-hmm. 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 And, re- and reporting and, re- and doing Absolutely. it in a way and doing it in a way that I heard um, someone this week at NSC was doing a presentation on, on ESG, environmental social governance, and her recommendation was to remember to bring your receipts, <laughs> which was her simplistic way of saying you have to prove what you're doing so you can avoid this greenwashing you were talking about. But our profession is uh, poised for that. You know, we're used to bringing the documentation and, and showing that it's um, truthful. Yes, and we also work on work very well on cross-functional teams, right? Yeah, from, that's right. From top to bottom and, and again, being able to um, bring in all of the different partners um, and and build those relationships. We ha- we typically have relationships with legal and compliance and operations and talent and mm-hmm. you know we are we are sometimes a glue and if you look at an organization and who who has uh, that touch throughout the organization, mm-hmm. it's typically EHS. That's right. That's right. Um, when you were talking before about how you've been educating yourself on in this topic specifically, you talked about a cohort you were part of um, with um, Hella, I believe is the name uh-huh, you used. Uh-huh. Yeah, is that is that an organization that is something we should share in the show notes of the podcast if other people want to be part of that, or is it something that's really specific to your region um, where you live? No, it's it, it it was a global cohort, so it's very very early early mornings for me but it was mm-hmm. it was a it was a global um group and it it's called uh esg for competent boards essentially okay yeah well we might uh, look for a link to share in the show notes for people that think that sounds like oh, uh, you know something that they might be interested in yeah i mean there's so, there are so many different programs jill um hmm. I think hmm. uh, Tim Mohan, he has a weekly newsletter that he sends out on LinkedIn hmm. um, just for, you know, climate and sustainability news. Uh, okay. Greenfin is a great organization. They're, 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 they have an annual conference with the investor community and sustainability professionals. Um that's been very valuable. Um, I think Harvard Business School 
has an online ESG uh, certification. Mm. Um, so I think it, it just depends. Those are good tips. Yeah, mm -hmm. it depends on, you know, what you want to do with the certificate or the education and what you need, what you need from it is, yeah. is what I say. Okay. For me, for, for being on the board of Make-A-Wish and also kind of understanding um, what my business needs, I, I, for me, the competent board designation was... That worked for you. Worked okay. For yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing all of those resources. That's wonderful. Appreciate it. Dolores, as we start wrapping up our time today, I'm curious to hear about, you know, what what life is like today. You met with your global team this week. You've got this EHS roadshow coming up. What's what's day-to-day -day, um, life like now, and what are you focused on? Yeah, I think the outside of day-to-day -day compliance and, and really, you know, the managing the team, recruiting, mm -hmm. retaining talent. Um, it, it really is the education piece. I have had departments that uh, they didn't want to, they didn't care about safety uh, in 2019, right? And now they, they want to know more. What else can we do? And um, again, I, I utilize contingent talent and some contractors and you know, they came in to support COVID and kind of reducing those EHS services to the business. Some folks are like, hey, hold on. We, we really liked having EHS on our corner. So mm. um, uh, it's really this quarter, we're really focusing on um, setting up the foundation for our objectives and key results. You know, what, what mm -hmm. we want to track for for next year, make sure we have those systems in place and really just getting out there and the roadshow is a big priority on who we are, what we do, what our priorities are and how we could add value to the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Great tip for anyone who's listening. I think I think we should all be doing a roadshow this year. <laughs> Follow Dolores, this is a great idea. It's a um, great idea. And then one thing I, I haven't shared in my team, but again, thinking about this EHS to ESG um, mm -hmm. and kind of the gaps uh, that EHS team members may have, I am looking at media training for for my team. Mm -hmm. um, we, like you had alluded to earlier, were typically you know, in the background, on the sidelines, mm -hmm. building programs. Mm -hmm. If you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the shift to, to ESG, it's a it's a different spotlight, right? It's That's investor right. relations, it's the media. And so um, I am looking for media training for my team. So really preparing leaders for um, expert interviews, Mm -hmm. News delivery. Obviously, mm -hmm. we're 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 pretty good with crisis communication, but I think that would that's really important for for uh, the next step of EHS. Boy, that is so wise, and <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. I mean, and anyone listening who has ever dealt with a crisis at work you know that you get asked right away. <laughs> you know that you get asked right away. And then 
And then the question is, am I the person speaking or is the CEO or president or leadership of the team speaking? And then if it's them, they might be looking at you saying, what can I say? Mm -hmm. What should I say? Um, and really trying to figure that out. I know I've, I've coached co companies around that in the past where a leader will say like, I, do I, do I talk to my employees about this thing that happened? Do I talk to, you know, the local community, the state community? What do I say? How do we do this? And, um, you know, it's not like every single place of employment has media experts at hand. Um, yeah. I, I worked for the, I worked for the government for a long time and we had a, you know, communications department. And every time I was investigating a fatality or a serious injury, the questions would come from local media mm -hmm. asking for a statement. And I always had to redirect yes. um, because I, you know, because I worked for the government and they had a specific, a specific way to do that. But these sort of things, um, they touch all of our lives. And we also have the opportunity in our work to talk about the great things and share those with our wider um communities and where we do business as well yes that's beautiful that sounds like a great initiative for this year <laughs> should be fun yeah Dolores anything else that you'd like to share with our audience today no um keep fighting the good fight <laughs> yeah. remember to protect your health protect yourselves you uh your health is your wealth and you can't protect others if you don't protect yourself first. So fill your cup. Yeah. As Sabina mm. says, fill, fill, make sure to fill your cup because you can't fill others' cups if, if yours isn't filled. That's right. And yes. you've, just quote, you've just quoted our friend Sabina who has been a guest on the podcast as well. And if, I'm, if I had like all, of, all, all 96 episodes memorized in order, I'd be able to quickly say, go listen to the episode, whatever, to hit the... <laughs> To listen to Sabina, but I, I don't seem to have that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't seem to have them all memorized right now. I think yeah. as um, again as EHS professionals, we're we're constantly giving, and we're you know we're 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 selfless. That's and, right. Um, especially after these these past three years, my goodness, it's been it's been nothing but giving. So take some time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dolores, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Really, really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you so much, Jill. Mm -hmm. And thank you all for spending your time listening. And more importantly, thank you for your contribution toward the common good, making sure your workers, including your temporary workers, make it home safe every day. If you haven't subscribed and want to hear past and future episodes, you can subscribe in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or any other podcast player you'd like. We'd leave it at, love it if you could leave a rating and review us on iTunes. It really helps us connect the show with more and more EHS professionals like Dolores and I. Special thanks to Naeem Jiraisi, our podcast producer, and until next time, thanks for listening.